Hi, friends. My name is Ben. Welcome if you're a guest. Hey, can we say hi to all our friends at the other campuses? Glad to have everybody with us. Join us. Got some friends online today as well. Hey, if you've ever felt anxious or struggled with anxiety, you're not in the dark. You're not, you're not alone. Uh, people around you who are sitting right by you uh, understand and get it. I get it. A lot of, a lot of us get it. it is now, anxiety is now the number one health concern among uh, women in this country. And number two for men, only behind drugs and alcohol, but probably because men are in denial. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, big, it's a big deal. And it, this, despite the fact that uh, we arguably live in the most prosperous, safest nation in the history of the world, right? With all these safety mechanisms and, and medicine, we're living longer. And uh, see, how many of you remember the good old days be- before, before we had bike helmets, right? Remember that? You could just crash and knock your head in. Or you remember, remember when we had um, trampolines with no cages? It's just like if you'd bounce crooked, you'd land in the neighbor's yard. It's a, do you remember that? How many of you remember riding around in the back seat with no seat belts? Remember that? It's just like throwing kids in a shoebox back there, just like rocking around, rattling around. And if your dad had those bench seats and liked to polish them and get them all slick, then you'd just be like all over running into each other, right? Remember that? You'd come at every stoplight, you'd be in the front seat like, hey, what's up? And then it, it, uh, it, was, it was handy on a date because you'd just get the girl over there on the, and then you'd take a sharp left turn and there she is, whoop, right over there. Not too safe, but uh, uh, kind of exciting. So we have, all, we have all of these things that are supposedly intended to make us safe. And yet we're more stressed out and we have more anxiety than we've ever had. Let me show you three numbers. Take a look at those three numbers. The first one is the number of million adults who say they struggle with anxiety every single day in this country. Unprecedented in our, in our nation's history. The second number is billions of dollars that we spent last year, $48 billion trying to treat anxiety. And 70 is a percent when the Pew Research people did a study and asked young people, teenagers, what's the number one thing that your peers struggle with? Anxiety was at the top of the list. They said 70% of my friends deal with anxiety every day. 70% of young people today. So more than... Guns and gangs and, and bullying and um, pregnancy, poverty, more than any of it, anxiety. So here's the deal. Anxiety is a part of life, right? And we can't escape it completely, but it doesn't have to run your life. It doesn't have to ruin your life. There's a great book on this subject called Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. Recommend the book to you. And he's the one who has that great quote. You know, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety, where it just holds you and, and keeps you, that is optional. So we're trying to help each other um, get through this. And, and one of the things we're doing is recognizing the complexity of this. And we don't want to oversimplify. We're not going to try to pretend to stand up here and say, snap your fingers and it all goes away. And so each week we're saying, you know, be very careful about this and realize that it may take a multi-pronged approach for you to deal with the anxiety that you're dealing with. It might take a combination of things like, for example, um, diet or exercise or seeing a counselor or getting some help from a therapist or even medication that can help with, with chemical imbalances because God has given us medicine and doctors. I say, don't be afraid to use them because you're not meant to, to be in fear. You're meant to flourish. We're not meant to live in a kind of constant state of anguish or anxiety. 
So if that's where you are, God wants to write a new chapter in your life that is a whole lot less panic and a whole lot more peace. And we're trying to to help each other go to God's word and figure out how to do that and get there. So we're um, using the same scripture each week. Some have said it's the most underlined part of the Bible. And we're going to read those words again today, one last time together. And we've been pulling from this Scripture we've been hovering in, these four antidotes to anxiety. And guys, this stuff really works. You put this into practice, it, it works. And, and so before we read those verses again together today, let's remind ourselves of the context. Context is always so important, right? So first of all, who can remember what book of the Bible that we're, we're hovering in these last four weeks? Call it out. Philippians. Philippians, right? All of our campuses, you can participate here. Who wrote this letter? guy named Paul. What city is he in when he writes it? Rome. Rome. And is he on the beach? He is not on the beach. He's in jail 24 hours under a guard. So if anyone had a reason to be anxious, it's Paul, okay? Here he is. He's old. He's like probably 60, okay? In that time period, it was probably the end of his life expectancy, Okay, Andy Rooney said, you know, life's like a roll of toilet paper. You know, the closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. He's at the end of his role, okay, and he knows it. He knows it, and he feels it. He's got 30 years of grueling missionary work that has taken its toll. He's weary, and he's half blind, the Bible says. He's got a spider web of scars on his back from being beaten so many times and left for dead. And here he is in prison, and the emperor Nero knows that if he wants to curry favor with the people, all he has to do is kill a Christian every so often. And no Christian was more famous and would be more welcome to be dead by the people than the apostle Paul. He's got lots of reasons to be anxious. If that wasn't enough, the churches he's given his life to starting all over the world, many of them are not doing so well. They're fighting, they're bickering, they've got false teachers, and some of them are even accusing Paul of things. It's crazy. And yet, think about your situation, just for a moment. Think about the the stuff that you've got that could be worrisome. We've all got stuff. The stuff that we want to get anxious about. And then you think about Paul, sitting there in prison, half blind, freezing to death, hungry, facing certain torture or death. And yet he never whines, he never complains. Here he is in prison and he's got peace. That's powerful. He's in jail. He's talking about joy. So you think about your situation and let these words of God and his words speak for you and to you. Let's rise to our feet out of respect for God's word, and let's read these words off the screen together today. Um, All of our campuses, if you can stand, if you're joining us uh, online at home, you can stand as well. If you're in the car, remain seated, and uh, we'll read these words. Fill your lungs with air and your heart with hope. Let's, uh, Let's read these words together. Ready? Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't forget what you're reading. Always. Rejoice in the Lord on sunny days, on paydays, on Fridays. When? Always, when you've got anxiety sitting on your chest like an elephant, when your brain has got monkeys like in trees jumping around with frenetic anxiety ideas, rejoice in the Lord. Let's keep reading. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Grab a seat, y'all. Grab a seat. Let's dive in here. These words are so potent and powerful. They're helping us get our calm on, okay? And these four antidotes kind of fit nicely into those, so that little acrostic calm, C-A-L-M. C reminds us to celebrate, to rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near and He's in control. A is ask God, because if it's big enough, To worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And instead of you saying, what am I going to do? You say, God, what are you going to do? That's prayer. And so we turn it over to him because prayer is the pathway to peace. L was last week, as we said, list it, the things you're thankful for. Because gratitude is an antidote to anxiety. Anxiety and gratitude cannot occupy the same space. And today, M stands for mindfulness or meditate. Mind your mind because How you feel in your gut is decided by what's in your brain. Mind your mind. Meditate. That's what we're talking about today. It's the last really powerful antidote, and it works. When I was a kid, um, I, I knew about and looked up to a famous pastor, teacher named Nofel Staten. Some of you may know about him. He's written a lot of books. In fact, one of the books he co-wrote with my sister, Catherine Como. But before he was a pastor and a famous Bible teacher, his claim to fame was that he was the lead air traffic controller at Chicago International O'Hare Airport, which was at the time one of the busiest airports in the world. Like we're talking a million flights every year coming in and landing there, and uh, he had this incredible job of being the one who would like look at thousands of flights at all these screens and be barking out orders and deciding which ones were going to land when, and he would have these harrowing stories of like split-second decisions and hundreds of lives at stake, and it was very nerve-wracking, but that's the life of an air traffic controller. There would be occasionally a plane that would come zooming in, thinking and expecting it was going to land, and he would have to say, no, you're going to have to go back up and zip around a little bit or go to some other airport because you're not landing here right now. That's the job of an air traffic controller. And friends, what it, what it feels to me like Paul is going to teach us today is that you and I, you, you are an air traffic controller of your mind. And there are so many planes that are zooming around, thoughts that want to occupy the airspace of your head and you get to decide which ones land and it's very important that you take that seriously because you know why proverbs 23 7 says as a person thinks in their in their mind and their heart so is he 
That you, what's in your head determines your attitude and your destiny in life, your, your anxiety level, your character. All of that is determined. So here's the, here's, the, here's the point. You don't control every thought that flies into your mind. You can't really control that. They just come, but you do control which ones you allow to land. All right? Mind your mind. Just like that air traffic controller needs a certain set of criteria, like, well, which ones do I, how do I know what's the protocol here? How do I know which ones to tell I, I want to land and which ones to say no to? And Paul, I think, is answering that question for us because he knows we're going to live in a world with all of this like stuff. And that's how we live, right? Like these planes just zooming in in the airspace, like negative talk and this critical stuff. And it's like, zoom, here comes a cargo plane of anxiety and a little private plane of panic, just like helicopters and just jump, 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 politics. You know, and what if I don't have enough money? And what about my kids? And what if nobody loves me? And blah, 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 all these planes. Like, which ones are you going to let land? How do you know? And Paul says, I'm going to help you there. I'll give you criteria. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, in other words, I'm going to wrap up this argument, brothers and sisters. And he then he tells us how to handle anxiety, and he gives us six adjectives, descriptions or criteria, so you know what kind of planes to let land in your brain. He says, for example, like, whatever is true. If it's true, you can let that one land. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and then he summarizes the whole list. And he says, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, that's what we're talking about here, think about those things. Like Yoda, the main verb at the end of the sentence he puts. He lists all that stuff, and he says, think about that stuff. Think about that stuff. Now, think about that word, think about. In the Greek, it's one word, logizomai, logizomai. Think about these things. You recognize we get the word logic or logical from it. It's a reminder that you're going to have to exercise the rational part of your mind, the, the thinking part of your head, in order to win the war on worry. You've got to think about some things and use our minds, our reason. Isn't it interesting? Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And modern science is teaching us exactly the same thing today. That this whole thing with anxiety has a lot to do with your brain space. Now, I'm no scientist, but neurologists have done this, brought it right down to the bottom shelf so guys like I can read it on the internet. And we all know now about brain mapping where there's certain parts of your brain that are responsible for the emotions, the quick reactions and the feelings. And there's other parts of your brain that are responsible for the logical, rational, reasoning part of your mind and your thoughts. So everyone put your, your, your fingers right up here on your temples. Okay, feel that right there? You're pointing to your amygdala. Everybody say amygdala. Amygdala. When you look at this guy up here, the little blue-headed guy, he's got a little, it's not a pea brain, that's a little amygdala right there, okay? It's a little part of his brain, it's about almond shape, you got a couple of them, one on either side, and they're responsible for quick reactions, like quick emotional responses. And then out here in the front, if you check this out, you know, right up here in the front, it's your frontal lobe out there, that's where you've got another part of your brain called the frontal, prefrontal cortex, Okay, right out there in the front. And that's what's responsible for logic and reasoning and rational stuff. And the two are meant to work together. It's called the prefrontal cortex. You don't want to get a frontal lobotomy because that's where they go in and dig around. You don't want that. 
Which reminds me, it's not in my notes, I shouldn't say it, but it reminded me about the guy who drank too much, and he said, if I can't have a bottle in front of me, I'd rather have a frontal lobotomy. I don't know why. I, just, I don't know why I threw that in there, but because that's in my brain. Get that out of your brain. You need that. You need both of these working together. You got the emotional responses and they send signals up to your prefrontal cortex that goes, okay, now let's weigh this. Let's see, is this really something to freak out about or not? That's how the brain is meant to work together. So you can, everybody, thank God for your amygdala because that's probably why you're alive today. It's why you ran when you saw a grizzly bear. It's why you didn't step out into the street when you heard that car honk its horn instantly you didn't have a little conversation or do any logic at all you just instantly pulled your foot back out of reflex because your amygdala told you to and then that car zoomed by and you didn't die when a baseball is flying at you in the stands you don't have time to think well it looks like it's coming about 47 miles an hour and if i don't move my head let me think about that no you just go ah and you duck that's your amygdala thank you amygdala you just saved my head I got a great example of the amygdala and how it works. Um, a while back, my friend Rob Arsenal was asked to do announcements for our student ministries, and they were going to record it. That's what he thought. And so, just watch the film. Hi, my name's Rob Arsenal. I'm the Welcome and Men's Ministry Pastor here. And my favorite Christmas present ever was my Evil Knievel motorcycle doll. It was awesome. I think I broke it three days later. Hey, if you're new here tonight, don't forget to come up front immediately after service to grab your swag bag. It's got a Chick-fil-A gift card in it and a bunch of information about what we do here at Mountain Christian Church. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas! So... I, I, I love that because you see the amygdala kicking in, fight or flight, like, woo, we got a problem, we got a and then, you real, then he instantly realizes, he sends a signal to his prefrontal cortex, which is instantly annoyed, <laughs> and recognizes that's Chase in a box, I've been had on a prank, and he's like, I'm already mad one second later. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. You get a quick emotional response, and then your pupils dilate, your pits start to go, and, and you breathe faster, your adrenaline kicks in, even your bowel system can react quickly, sometimes embarrassingly, jettisoning unnecessary weight so you can, you know, get rid of your lunch and run. Thank you, amygdala. Amygdala, though is just sort of one part of what's supposed to go together. And what's happening in America today is that we're living in this kind of constant fight or flight. Like we're never really letting the prefrontal cortex sort of bring the logic, the logizomai, and, 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 and thinking about it because we're staying in this constant jumpy, anxious state. When you go to a zoo and you see... There's a snake, ah, your amygdala goes, ah, there's a snake, you know, and then you realize, oh, it's behind glass, okay, I'm okay. But when you, when you think, maybe there's a snake at home, maybe there's one in my car, maybe there's one on my bed, maybe there's one under your seat, maybe there's one on you right now, that's anxiousness and anxiety where our brains are kind of getting dwelled and stuck, stuck right on this, this anxious thought. Dr. Caroline Leaf's a neuro neuroscientist who says what's happening is we're getting these neurological pathways like well-worn ruts in our brains and we're, we're just, we're looping in the amygdala and we're never getting up to the logic and what's happening is anxiety is literally rewiring our brains. 
So we're living in this constant fight or flight. And it's exhausting us. And the good news is, is that they've discovered that the brain can be pliable. They call it neuroplasticity. You can retrain your brain. Like a muscle that gets atrophied, if you start lifting weights, you can build your biceps up and look big like me. (laughs) And friends, we can do the same thing with our minds. We can retrain our brain. And guess what? Science is saying it. We all kind of know it. But the Bible was saying it 2,000 years ago. And this is what Paul is trying to teach us. You got to think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. Mind your mind because not every thought is worthy of thinking about. We have some of these thoughts. They just come barging in. They just land the plane. They're like, oh, here they are. They go walking in the, the brain space and here they are. And, 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 and if we don't think about it, we don't realize this isn't even worth thinking about. And yet there it is taking up brain space. You see a mole. It's like, ah, okay, I'm going to die. My brother-in-law is going to get the house. Just like that. Just like You see a dip in the stock market. It's like recession, depression. I'm on food stamps tomorrow. Your your teenager makes one text to a not-so-good friend. You panic. He's probably on drugs. He won't graduate. He'll, He'll never leave house except when he goes to jail. These are potentially real problems. But the amygdala needs to be balanced by the prefrontal cortex. In other words, we need to think about these things. And logic and reason is part of it. So what do we need to put into our heads? Paul says, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Let me help you with that. Instead of these thoughts just kind of constantly looping, we retrain our brains. Verse 8 says, how about this? Whatever is true. Put that in your head. In other words, not imaginary. Half of the things that we anxiously worry about aren't even real. They're a snake behind glass. Focus on what's true. And all of the lies that the accuser, your enemy, Satan, wants to put in your head, don't dwell there. And what about all the secrets and lies that we sometimes live with in our lives? It takes all that energy to hide and pretend, and it leads to more anxiousness. Think about what's true. And whatever is noble, it means honorable, things that are worthy of respect. Some things are not worthy of your respect, so don't put those into your mind. This word literally means it causes you to lift the head. It's noble. Some things, I'll be honest with you, I've had some thoughts recently that caused me to put my head down in shame. They make me want to drop my head. And make me ashamed. I've been struggling not to fixate on those things. But the Bible says that God is the lifter of my head. He's the lifter of my head. And if that's true, then I, I've got to choose to mind my mind and not let that plane land and not have that negative head-dropping thing there. I'm going to think about what's noble in the lifting of my head. And whatever is right, is it... Is it fair? Is it consistent with God's word? You can think about that. Let that plane land. Is it, is, it, is it pure? If you're always thinking dirty and defiled and impure and ungodly things, don't be surprised when you find yourself anxious and, and having these darker thoughts in your head. Dwelling on how to get back at someone or how much someone hurt you or how to get ahead. All that stuff's like poop in your brain. 
It's impure and it will, it will only make you more anxious. And sexual and moral impurity has become like a pastime and an escape and a common entertainment for everyone, but it never brings ultimate joy. It only leaves you empty and emptiness makes you anxious. So whatever's pure, put that in. And whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, like it means winsome, attractive, not offensive, Excellent or praiseworthy. Think about that stuff. You get all kinds of thoughts. You can't control all of them that come, but you can retrain your brain to focus on the ones that sort of mitigate these anxious thoughts. In the old King James, that verse, logizomai, think about these things, it's translated meditate. Meditate, like meditate only on what's good. Meditate means to chew on something, to think about it, to put it in your head. Today, I think a lot of people get confused about meditation. We think it means to sit, you know, with your legs crossed, home, you know, and as if it's some Eastern meditation thing. Well, that's one kind of meditation, but guess what? The goal of that kind of meditation is to empty your mind of thoughts and to get it all out of your head. Well, guess what? The Bible never talks about meditation that way, and it never talks about your brain that way. The Bible does not speak that way. It doesn't say think of nothing. It doesn't say empty your mind. It says rather fill your mind with what is good. And the best thing you can put into your mind is the truth and the nobility and the love and the power and the provision and the protection and the honorable trustworthiness of God and His presence in your life and His Word. Psalm 119 says, I meditate, I cogitate, I chew on, I think about your precepts, your truth. I consider your ways. I'm going to have to think about these things. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. If you're neglecting God's word and his truth, you're, you're, you're going to have anxiety. If you want to win the war on worry, don't try to empty your mind. Fill it with what's good. Fill it with what's good. My friend Ashley... It illustrated that in a, in a way that I want to show you. I think it'll, it, it kind of worked for me. Maybe it'll help you kind of picture this and think about what you're going to do. This is your brain, okay? Not because it's empty, because it's about the same size and it's an illustration. Go with it. All right, there it is. We can't control every negative thought that comes into our head, can we? There's going to be some what-ifs. You know, what if I lose my job? What if something horrible happens to my kids or my family or my loved ones? What if I look stupid? What if no one ever loves me? What if I can't get over this anxiety? And there are lots of these anxious thoughts that are going to come into our mind. And if you th- just let them keep coming in and coming in and filling up and fixating on them, then your brain looks like this. This is such a discouraging picture of a life. You can't live a positive life with a negative mind. And if this is what your life and your mind looks like, man... As you think in your mind, so are you. It matters what you let in. Now, Eastern mysticism says, well, just get it out of your head. And we do need to. And you can get some of those thoughts out of your head. But is the goal, or is it even possible, to live with an empty mind where you're literally thinking of nothing? Some of you are like, have you met my husband? (laughs) Actually, you can't just empty your mind and think about nothing. You can't really keep your mind empty. Something is going to fill that space. And so the invitation and reminder from Scripture is to fill it with what's good. Fill it with whatever is true and noble and pure and right 
and lovely and admirable. And your gratitude list from last week. Fill it with the protection and the provision and the power of God. Think about these things. It's a beautiful mind, isn't it? And that's a beautiful life. Now watch this. When your brain is already full of that stuff, there's still going to be unpleasant thoughts that come, but they have a hard time working their way in, don't they? I know it's an illustration and this is sand, but this is how your mind works. I know it from experience and so do you. Neuroscience is telling us it's exactly the way it works. And the Bible was teaching it to us 2,000 years ago, friends. Some of you have been struggling with anxiety for a long, long, long time because the ruts have been run deep in there and you're not sure about this. And I'm here to tell you, that you can retrain your brain. And that part of the anxiety issue you're facing is in your control as an air traffic controller and you can change some of the ways that you have been welcoming negative, anxious thoughts and replace them with good. And it won't happen overnight and it's not easy and I'm not saying it's the only thing and it's a snap of the fingers, but I'm telling you, this is real. And this is true and it works. And some of you are like, yeah, but I'm different. You don't understand. I've done this so long. I don't think I can. I just want to say, stop right there. See, that's the problem. Because what you're saying to yourself right now, if that's you, is that's not true and that's not noble and that's not right. And and that's exactly the problem we've got going here. And if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you've surrendered, you've prayed to him and said, I want you as my Lord and Savior, you've taken those steps, then the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and let Paul say... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even in our weakness. Why? He could say, 2 Corinthians 10, we take every thought captive. You be the air traffic controller. What's happening is our thoughts come in and they just walk in the front door. They just land the plane. They just go in our jar and then they take us captive and hold us prisoner. And they're anxious thoughts. And the Bible says you take the thought captive. You use the word of God, which is a sword and a power and a double-edged sword to do it. The opposite of anxiety is peace. And God can give us peace. Let's go back and pull out a couple more things from that key passage as we close today. Go back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Look at what it's saying about the peace of God. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, what do we do? We pray. By prayer and petition, with our thanksgiving, you present your request to God. What happens when you do that? Here's what it says. And as a result... There's the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds. You will receive and be filled with a peace. It's not saying if you pray, all your prayers will be answered and everything you ask for will be granted. It's saying irrespective of whether your prayers are answered the way you want them to, and irrespective of whether you're granted what you prayed for, when you turn it over to God, you let the anxiety go and there comes the peace. Then it describes the peace. How does it describe the peace? It says it's peace which what? Transcends all understanding. What does that mean? A peace that transcends understanding. I think it means three things. On the one hand, it means it goes further and does better and is more effective at producing real peace in us than our human logic and reasoning can. There's a limit to your prefrontal cortex and how much it can do for you. But there is a peace of God which, is, which transcends that human logic and is more powerful and better at bringing peace into your soul. 
And it also means, this peace that passes understanding means that, that there, if you looked at your life, sometimes you have so many bad things that are happening, on the surface of it, you would think you should probably be more anxious than you are, but you talk to every Christ follower I know who has experienced this, and they'll say, I don't understand it. I know I have surgery in the morning, but I have this peace. I know we're going through that with our family and our finances, but I'm okay. Why? I don't know. It passes understanding, but it's real. And you know what else this means when it says it passes understanding? It means it's, it defies what any human can imagine, what our brains and our little humanness can comprehend. There's a peace that's more wonderful and beautiful than that, and that's what it means when it says there's a peace which passes understanding. And the third thing it says here is when you get that peace, go back and look at verse 7, it says, this peace which transcends understanding, what will it do? It will what? Guard. Guard your heart and your mind. That's, the heart and the mind is where the anxiousness is. So if we can get some bad stuff out and some good stuff in and put a guard at the gate, you're good. And that's what the peace of God does. Friends, don't think peace is like some milk toast, weak, soft, squishy stuff, like some little fluttery butterflies, a little pleasant thought, peace. No, in the Bible, peace is burly and strong because we need something that can say no to a jet that's trying to land on our runway. We need strong peace that can be up to the battle of the evil and negative thoughts that have rewired themselves right in our brain. We need something strong, and the Bible says peace is like it. It'll guard. The word guard there is a military term for an armed battalion guarding a gate. When he wrote to the Philippians... They would have had an armed guard at the gate of the city of Philippi. Why? To keep the bad stuff out and to protect the city. Paul says that's what you got. Like, like for us, he might say, you've got a bouncer at the door of the nightclub of your brain. You want to have a party in there, but you don't want the riffraff. And so you put Guido out there. He's, he's big and he's burly and he's probably got no sleeves and he stands at the door. And if somebody loser shows up and is up to no good or has caused trouble in there before, he's going to say, wait a second. He's going to grab him by the earlobe and throw their butt out and put him on the curb and say, get out of here. And that's what God says. You've got the peace of God guarding the gate of your mind and your heart. Don't you just let any old thought walk in there. You get the peace of God. You get the bad stuff out. Get the good stuff in. Put God Guido at the door. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He comes knocking. Who comes that evil thought? That wicked thought? That, that sort of anxious thought? And it's like he's like, wait a second. She's trying to sleep. Get out of here. And you sleep in perfect peace. Why? Not because you don't have any problems. But because you've retrained your brain. You got the bad out, the good in, and the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, I hope this is more than a sermon series for you guys. I hope this is a game changer and a practical life-altering practice for you. That you will call upon these truths that we've talked about over the recent weeks. Replace every lie with the truth. Get the lies out and the truth in, and then let the peace of Christ guard your heart and mind. Some of us are still living with lies. The devil is a liar. He'll make every lie look like a truth, and every truth look like a lie. And that creates a lot of anxiety, and some of us have anxiety because we're still living with some lies, some dark stuff in our jar.
we've let some planes land. It's about time for us to have them take off. Some of you are living with the lie, for example, that says, I'm so weak, I can't do this. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a nobody, I can't. And that's a lie. Because the scripture reminds us that, you know what? Even when I'm weak, he makes me strong. Okay? And there is a strength available to you from God. And some of you are living with the lie that makes you so anxious, you say, I'm always going to be alone. I'm always going to be by myself. And the Bible says, according to God's word, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. See, that's the truth. And that's a different kind of brain. Some of you are living with the lie that says, I'm worthless. I'm of no value. And the truth is, you are a valuable child of God. And some of you live with the lie that says, I don't know who I am. I guess I have to prove myself. i got to accomplish something. It's based on my performance or people liking me or my sexual identity is who I am. And the Bible says, no, that's all a lie. You know who you are if you've given your life to Christ. You're a precious child of God. That's your identity. You don't have to prove it. Nothing can change it. See? Some of you live with this fear, this anxious lie that says, I didn't have a good mom or dad, so I'll never know how to love anybody. I'll be a horrible parent myself. And you know what? You can learn how to love someone. That's the truth. And you don't need to be a perfect parent. Your kids don't need that. They need someone to point them to the only person who is perfect, and that's Jesus. And you can do that. See, we live with these lies. We live with lies that says, I'm ugly, I'm unattractive. And the truth is, God says, I made you and I love you and I'm crazy about you just the way you are. You live with a lie, some of us, that says, but I sinned, I have messed up so many times, I've done such horrible things, and I'm way beyond hope, and the truth is, praise God, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of all unrighteousness, and you will stand before God cleansed and pure. That's the truth. If you don't live with that, you're going to live with a bunch of garbage in your head. And if some of you say, but I don't have what it takes. I don't know what to do. And I want you to know the truth today is that you and Jesus are exactly enough. And you have everything you need to cope with all the stress in your life. And you have everything you need to fulfill the purpose God put you on the planet. And the anxiousness that holds you in a zombie sort of stuck state is not from God. And you can have joy in every circumstance, just like Paul says. And if you're still saying, I'm living by the lie that I'll never overcome my anxiety, I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. And you know how you do it? You celebrate and say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because he is near and he's in control. And then you ask God and you pray about it. And said, instead of me saying, what am I going to do? I say, God, what are you going to do? And you, you turn it over to the Lord and you do it with thanksgiving and make your list. And then you mind your mind, watch the planes that land. And when you do that, my friend, you're taking every bad thought and replacing it with a good one and letting the peace of Christ guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for your word and its power and its truth, and I pray that you will set many people free as a result of it today. Help us to trust you, because we know you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you, because we trust you. Bring us your joy and your peace through the power of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.